So I have a, um, a dear friend, and she served with me over the years in ministry. And uh, she lives in Arizona now, so I'm safe in all that I say, and I hope this doesn't get back to her, because she'd always be like, don't talk about me if you can help it. So, can't help it. She is a faithful friend, but what I want to talk about today, so maybe I can get away with it, is her amazing husband. First of all, I want to say that he makes the best coffee I've ever had in my entire life. But secondly, I want to say that he does not serve in ministry. He has a regular nine-to-five job that he goes to um, whatever hours they dictate to him. But in his spare time, he has always volunteered at the church whatever needed doing, whether it was cleaning, setting up, barbecuing, or fixing people's cars, or even making that delicious pot of coffee. He was there, and he was willing. Every day, he gets up for a laborious job, He's diligent at work. He's always on time. To my knowledge, he's never missed a day of work. In his job, he is one of the best employees. He has counseled his fellow workers. He has ministered to the men he works with. He has shared his faith. He has showed them hospitality. He has volunteered to take them to church. He is a great father. He's a good steward. And he's a good husband. The last time I talked with him, he told me about a Muslim man that he worked with and that this man had had all these businesses that he had lost quite a few of them. And this man, this Muslim man was always in financial straits and totally filled with discontent. And he looked at my friend's um, husband, Michael, and he said, what is the secret of your contentment and your happiness? And Michael explained to him that he didn't have much, but what he had was all paid for, and that he didn't want to be rich because he had riches waiting for him in heaven, and it wasn't seven virgins, but it was riches untold. I marveled as I talked with Michael. I am so impressed with his godly life. But you know, there's nothing noteworthy about the work he does. He'll never be written up. He's one of those guys that's rarely noticed. He just goes about loving Jesus and walking in the promises of God. And when I think about Isaac, I can't help but think about Michael. Isaac was a man who simply walked in the promises of God. There were no great cataclysmic events, no great upheavals. It was just a consistent course that stayed consistent in the path of walking in the promises of God. I have always wanted to have a thrilling testimony. I was raised around hippies, and they all had like these incredible testimonies. Um, My dad used to tell me about the colorful people that his father would witness to in prison that would get saved and go to their dinner table because, you know, my grandpa was always inviting anybody who got saved home to his wife's home cooking uh, to his house. And uh, my grandmother was, um, from what I've heard, a fantabulous cook. All I know, she made me raisin bread because she uh, passed away when I was four. But they were just... um, 
this family that just shared Jesus. And my dad said, oh, you know, and he'd have these stories about like the mafia guy that came to dinner that got saved or the guy who had been an armed robber who got saved and went to dinner at their house or the hobos that used to come to their house. And my grandpa would invite them in the homeless around the table. And my grandmother would feed them or the thieves. In fact, my dad knew how to break into houses He knew how to pick a lock. And I, dad, how do you know these things? He goes, well, you know, there was this guy, Joe, that got saved, you know, in prison. And he taught my brothers and I a few things, you know? (laughs) And you know, you'd read that, you'd hear that, and you'd be like, I want a testimony. You know, I, my life seems so ordinary by comparison, but I have to tell you, I have never wanted to try life without Jesus. I'm just too big of a scaredy cat. I don't want to face the obstacles and problems. You know, life is hard enough with Jesus. I don't want to do it without Jesus. I always believed the Bible stories. From the time I heard them, I believed them. And I incorporated them into my own life. I wanted to live and claim the promises of God. I've always loved the promises. I didn't want to live a day without the promises. When I was four years old, I memorized my first scripture, which was Isaiah 41, 13. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not, I will help you. And every time I've been afraid, I have held out my right hand to Jesus. And he's taken it and he's held it. I hate crying publicly. But my Jesus has held my hand and he's seen me through everything. Everything. And I've never wanted to lose that grit or that clasp of his hand. So I don't have a testimony. It's all to say I don't have a testimony. I just, just, you know, this is my life. I walk with Jesus. I love him. I've shared with you that how when I was 12, I made up a testimony. (laughs) It's because I had hippies for... um, I had hippies for Sunday school teachers in junior high. And our retreats where we stayed on the floor of a church in our sleeping bags out in Palm Desert. And they drove us to Palm Springs. This is our outing. You know, we didn't, we didn't go swimming. We didn't, you know, play flag football. They dropped us up in Palm Springs and said, now witness. And we were driven there in Volkswagen vans without seatbelts. And they open the doors and they say, now witness, I'm 12 years old. I walked up to a bunch of hippies that were smoking pot and I told them they needed Jesus. And they said to me, what do you know about life? And I said, hey, (laughs) I've lived it. (laughs) Yeah, I used to have a problem with drugs, but then Jesus came into my life. And I don't want to do drugs anymore. I just want Jesus. And they looked at me and they said, you've done drugs. Yeah. Okay. What's a roach clip? I said, it's the thing that bites you when you smoke pot. (laughs) Well, Bill Welsh, who is now the Calvary Chapel pastor of um, refuge in Huntington Beach, he heard me and he came over very sweetly, kind of just put his arm on my shoulder and said, you know, I'm going to take her for a few minutes away from this group. And he opened his Bible. I think it was a good news for modern man. And he showed me a wonderful scripture that says, if by a lie, I can win people to Christ, should I lie? And it said, God forbid. And I went, oh, 
so I shouldn't make up a testimony. He's like, and you know, there's like this smile that kept coming like, you know, and uh, that was when I learned I got to keep the one I got. But I think, you know, as I grow older at 54, I am really enjoying the more sedate testimonies. I'm loving those testimonies. Well, I always walked with Jesus. Really? Praise the Lord. That's so good. You know, when you have children, you pray that they don't have a testimony, don't you? Maybe they walked with God or were not because God took them. I mean, that's the testimony we want for our children, isn't it? And I'm learning, you know what? The testimony is the walking with God. The testimony is the walking in the promises of God. Now, Isaac's life was not problem-free. He experienced heartache, the loss of his dear mother, the loss of his father. He faced the unknown. He experienced deficit. He lived through famine. He had men quarrel with him. He had two sons that could not get along. Yet there was nothing especially thrilling about his life either. There were no great moves from one country to another, no call to leave his family and relatives, no great war fought against an array of kings, no special blessings from men like Melchizedek, king of the most high God. Yet we have so much to learn from Isaac about simply daily walking in the promises of God. So how did Isaac walk in the promises of God? Step one, Isaac believed God's word given to his father, Abraham. He believed the word of God. In Genesis 22, when God calls Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, have you ever noticed how Isaac is fully cooperative? He carries the wood. He allows his father to bind him on the altar. Now you must remember that Isaac is probably in his 30s by this time. And that makes Abraham about 130. Isaac could have easily overcome his father and refused to be that sacrifice. But Isaac believed Abraham when he said that God would provide himself a sacrifice. And Isaac was even willing to be that sacrifice. Such was his faith in the word of God We also see Isaac's separation because of the word and promises of God. He was separated from Ishmael in Genesis 21, 10 through 14. His mother insisted that Ishmael and his mother be sent away. Isaac was separated from his father's concubines, sons, in Genesis 25, 5 through 6. He was singled out because he believed God's word to his father. Isaac believed he was a son of promise. He believed that he was the heir to the lineage of blessing. So that was step one. He believed the word of God. Step two, Isaac waited on God and God's promises. He let God make the choices in his life. He trusted God with the most important choices in his life. This is especially seen regarding the choosing of his wife, Rebecca, in Genesis 24. He left this choice up to his father and his father's servant. Now, to me, this is absolutely amazing because I have to tell you, my mom, 
My mom is a doll, but I remember being 15 years old and this handsome man sitting on a bus. We were on one of the tours of Hawaii. And he looked at my mother. He said, I'd certainly like to marry your daughter, Cheryl. And she said, you can have her. (laughs) And this, this man proceeded to sing me a song, which I found absolutely embarrassing at 15 years old. And he asked me how old I was. And I said, I'm 15. And he said, I think I'm going to move to the back of the bus. (laughs) A little bit later, I remember a man um, asking me out, taking me out. And he said to me, I've already talked to your mom and dad, and they're all right with me pursuing you for marriage. (laughs) And she's just like, you know what? I'm going to have a talk with my mom and dad when I get home. (laughs) To, To leave it up to you know, not even his father, but his father's servant. This was something exceptional when you realize that Isaac was 40 years old. He had to wait a long time for that, for that servant and for his father to make the decision. But he waited. He waited for that wife of promise. He waited for the servant to follow Abraham's directives and go. He obeyed his father's prohibition about not taking one of the Canaanite women, which I think is really interesting since his dad took an Egyptian and then a Canaanite woman, Keturah. It's almost like Abraham's like, now don't do what I did. Get yourself a good woman. (laughs) And God chose exactly the right woman for Isaac. God led the servant to the right city, answered the servant's prayer, Rebecca was a distant cousin, and she was willing to come. And, he, and she took an immediate interest in Isaac when she saw him. I love how you have her coming in, and Isaac's meditating in the field. Now, remember, there are all these people mulling about, you know, uh, the tents. And at this time, Isaac still lives with his father. It's a compound. And there's lots of people going, you know, back and forth. And she's just getting to this little compound, these beautiful tents. And there's somebody off in the field who's about 40, and I think he's devastatingly handsome. That's my own impression. And because she says, who's that? You know, now there's all these people, but who's that guy over there in the field walking? And they're like, oh, that's Isaac. And she's like, oh, I'm putting on my veil. The wedding veil. She's like, I'm in this. I'm putting on my veil. I'm ready to marry him. Bring him on. Bring him to me. And we're told that Isaac took her into his mother's tent and he loved her. This is only the second occasion that the Bible has talked about love in Genesis from the beginning. The first occasion was how Abraham loved Isaac. And now Isaac loves Rebekah. That waiting on the Lord for his very, very best. You know, There's some of us that don't wait for God's best, but Isaac was willing to wait. Step three, Isaac sought God's provision in deficit. Now remember at one point, his father had sought his own intuition in deficit. He had gone to Egypt. Another time because of the deficit of son, the lingering of the promise, Abraham had taken Hagar, but now 
Isaac's got a deficit. For 20 years, he's been married to Rebecca, and she's been unable to conceive. Isaac doesn't find a concubine. He doesn't find a handmaiden. He doesn't go for an aphrodisiac. But instead, he begins to plead with the Lord to bring about all that God has promised. The expectation of a child took time. But when Isaac prayed, the Lord heard, and Rebekah conceived twins. Step four, Isaac obeyed God's word, Genesis 26. God speaks to Isaac during a famine in Canaan, and he has one directive. Do not go to Egypt. You know, go where, stay in this land, dwell in this land, don't go to Egypt. So you could almost say it's two. One's is a positive, one is a negative. The positive, dwell. The negative, don't go. Now, the logical thing would be to go to Egypt because they would have food. His father had gone to Egypt during a time of famine, and you usually do what your parents do, don't you? Do you find yourself doing things that your parents did, and you're like, why am I doing this? Why am I using Tide for my clothes? Because my mother used Tide. Why do you use Joy for my dishes? Because my mother would buy anything that said Joy. Why do I fold my towels in thirds? Because my mother folded her towels in thirds. Why do I do hospital corners when I don't even like the sheets tucked in? Because my mother did hospital corners. You know, you find yourself just doing these things almost naturally. One of my favorite things is apples and cheese because my mother every day at three o'clock had to listen to Jay Vernon McGee and eat apples and cheese or crackers and cream cheese. Every day, this was her special time with a a cup of coffee. And, you know, why do I love coffee? My mother loved coffee. My dad thought it was a curse, but made it for my mother every day. So he must have not felt that strongly about it. But, you know, we do these things. So the natural inclination for Isaac would be to go to Egypt. But he obeys the Lord. Egypt looks like, oh, it's going to have the provision. It's all I need. But he doesn't. He obeys the instructions of God. And God reaffirms his promise to Isaac. When Isaac obeys, God says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Do you realize that this is the first time that we read that Isaac hears from the Lord and has a personal encounter with the Lord. Isaac has prayed. Isaac has walked in the promises. Isaac has trusted uh, God's word. He's trusted uh, his father, the Lord, in finding him a wife. And now we see him obeying the Lord and God speaking to him in this time of deficit. The provision. Uh, 
Isaac dwelt in Gerar in Canaan. There God protected him. He actually repeated his father's pattern there of saying his wife was his sister, but he was caught kissing her. I love that. And the king says, hey, what, what's going on? I could have taken her in my harem, but who wants a woman with twins in your harem? Especially wild boys that don't get along, you know? It's so funny. I was, um, I was up at my son's house last year, and he left me to watch the boys while he went in the house, and we were all in the backyard together. And, you know, one of the boys kind of, you know, they were uh, three and two at the same, at the time, and one kind of, you know, shouldered uh, the other one. And the other one's not about to take that, the little one. So he comes at his brother with both hands and pushes him. And then, hey, it's fair game. So then, you know, big brother pushes him back. And pretty soon, they're literally rolling on the grass, like, you know, just, you know, fighting or whatever, you know, scrambling about. And Char comes out and he's like, mother, you're supposed to be watching him. I said, well, I figured they'd work it out (laughs) and be a little more tired for it. You know, I've been watching my grandsons, my older grandsons, 13 and seven. They've been in my house. They've been having Nerf gun fights. They've been, you know, they've been tumbling over my furniture. Things have been getting broken. This is all to say, who wants to take a woman with twins into their harem? That's my whole point. Nobody took Rebecca into their harem. She might be beautiful, but those twins were very... um, protective. And we're told there that God blessed him in Gerar and made him very prosperous to the point that Abimelech the king says, please, please go away. Now, step five, Isaac sought to be where God wanted him to be. So we find him in Gerar. When the Philistines begin to envy him, King Abimelech comes to him and says, go away. This is chapter 26 of Genesis. You're mightier than we are. And Isaac knows not to go to Egypt, but he begins to move about Canaan, trying to find the right place to settle. I like this because, you know, God didn't tell him where to go. God's just like, I'll direct you. And sometimes God will use natural means. You know, resources are in this place and they're not in this place. This is where the job is. This is where the job isn't. And sometimes God uses our very circumstances to put us in the right place. And that's what we see with Isaac. He goes to the Valley of Gerar and he digs a well, but the herdsmen of Gerar begin to quarrel with him. So Isaac names that well Esek or quarrel and he moves on. He goes to a second place and he digs another well. And again, other herdsmen come in. Now he's had to move from Gerar because Abimelech asked him. He's had to move from the Valley of Gerar because of this quarrel. In the second, uh, second, or you could call it the third place, they dig a well. There's um, argument, quarreling about this, so he names it sitna, or hostility. Then he moves to the third place, and he digs another well, and there's no quarrel. And he names it Rehoboth, or for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Or in other words... This is probably the place God has for us to be. And he settles in Beersheba. Step six. Don't worry, we only have seven. Isaac worshiped God. We're told that in this place, God appeared to Isaac. This is the second time. And God reiterates his promises. 
to Isaac and the same night that he settles into Beersheba. He's in the place God desires. He's been obedient to God's directives not to go to Israel. He's blessed by God. He's prospered. He's got flocks. He has water with no hassles. He's got twin sons. And there God says to him, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Perhaps being sent away from Abimelech, he had some fear because Abimelech is the king and he says, I don't want you around here. And that um, there's nothing worse than rejection, is there? Betrayal. It just hurts. Perhaps he's concerned because of the times of strife with the shepherds and he doesn't want to strive anymore. He doesn't want quarreling. He doesn't want fights. Maybe these things made Isaac a bit uneasy about truly settling in the land and the promises because of this quarreling, because of people coming after him, because of the rejection. But God knows exactly what we need to hear from him and when we need to hear it, doesn't he? He knows when we need to hear, do not fear. As the promises were for your father, so they're for you, Isaac. As I was with your father, I will be with you. He knows that Isaac needs to hear, do not fear. I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants. These promises were already guaranteed because of his father. He said, because of your father, Abraham, it's a no fail promise. It's a done deal. All the promises of God are guaranteed. They're a done deal. We're just waiting for them to be seen and to come to fruition. They're already written. They're already done. They're already assured. And so Isaac worships God by building an altar in response to all God has done for him, all the promises God has already fulfilled, and for all the promises God has made to him, and for all the promises that God will continue to fulfill. He builds an altar. And we're told that Isaac called on the name of the Lord. It's at this place he said, I will never serve anybody else. You are my God and you alone are my God. Finally, step seven, Isaac set an example for others. Abimelech, this Philistine king that kicked him out of Gerar, visits him with the commander of his army. And Isaac questions him about why he's visiting. He said, look, I thought you hate me. You hated me. You sent me away, didn't you? What are you doing here? And Abimelech says this, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. Abimelech saw God's blessing on Isaac and he wanted to make a covenant with Isaac because of God's blessing. I've seen God operating in your life. I saw him even when you were rejected and you were sent out of Gerar. I saw God with you. I saw God on you in the quarreling and the different wells and then the Rehoboth and the Beersheba. I see God's hand of blessing upon you. And I want to make a covenant with you that you will not go to war and you will not hurt me and I will not hurt you because of God's blessing on you. Isaac set an example. He could have quarreled. He could have defended himself and said, my father 
dug these wells and I'll be darned if I'm going to do it. I got an army here. Come on, servants. Let's get rid of the shepherds. He could have done something like that, but he didn't. He just moved further into the promises of God. He just moved deeper into the promises of God. He just kept walking into the promises of God. And in so doing, he set example for everyone else. When there's quarreling, when there's attack, sink yourself deeper into the promises of God. As we look at the life of Isaac, we see that he never performed some noble deed. He never left the country of his birth. Maybe you feel this way sometimes. I've never even been out of America. Maybe some of you have never been out of California. Don't worry, California's the best. (laughs) He simply walked in the promises of God. Perhaps you feel a little like Isaac because you're not directly in ministry. You're not hired by your church. You've never done anything exceptional. I fed my dog. You know, he's just like, you know, Lord, what am I doing for you that's productive? Yet God is calling you to walk in his promises and you can do so the same way that Isaac did. One, believe the word of God. Step one, believe the word of God. Step two, wait on God to accomplish his will for your life. Don't do the choosing for yourself. Let God do the choosing. Wait on the Lord. Three, seek God's provision in deficits. Go to God first in trials, in problems, in issues. Seek God first. Fourthly, obey God's word. It's not just believing, but it's obeying. Don't go where God tells you not to go. Don't go there. Sometimes there are certain thoughts that come in my mind and I feel the Holy Spirit saying, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go to Egypt in your thoughts. Don't go to Egypt in your heart. Don't go to Egypt in your life, taking care of numero uno. Don't go to Egypt. Obey the word of God. Do what God says. Psalm 37 says, commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. It also says in Psalm 37, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Seek, number five, seek to be in the place God wants you to be. God, where do you want me? It's not just what do you want me to do, but where do you want me to be? Seek God's will for your life. This applies to every area of your life. What job does God want you to have? What apartment or house does God want you to have? What church does God want you to attend? What social group, what community? Where does God want you? You want to be in the place God wants you. Because even if it's hard, it's the place of promise. Even if there's quarreling along the way, you want to get in the place of promise. Six, worship God. Worship God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we find as the people began to worship God, that God set an ambush against the enemy. We need to worship our God. 
We need to thank him for all he's done. We need to praise him for all he is and he is doing. And we need to call upon his name. Now, when we say call upon his name, that means everything that he is. His whole testimony, his works, his glory, his beauty. God is a saving God. Today I was reading in the Holman's Christian Standard Bible, because that's the Bible I'm reading through this year, and I love it. I love it. It's like so good. I, last year I went through the New Living Translation, and I loved it. Now I'm in the HC, um, you know, Holman's Christian Standard Bible. I am loving it. I'm like loving it so much it's crazy. So I'm reading... First Samuel chapter 14. And this is the way it puts it. Remember when Jonathan is like, um, the Philistines are coming against Israel and Saul's all, you know, scared and everybody else is hiding. And Jonathan turns to his armor bearer and said, let's take him on and see what God will do. But this is how it says it in HCSB. It says, nothing keeps the Lord from saving, whether by many or few. But the Lord said, stop there. Nothing keeps me from saving. Nothing keeps the Lord from saving. The name of the Lord is Savior. He's zealous to save. This is what he does as he saves. He's a Savior. You know, yes, he's a Savior. But what else is he? Our God is love. He's loving. Our God is a comforter. Our God is truth. Our God is light. Our God is a defender. Our God is a rock. What do you need today? Say it out. Whatever you need today, just say it out. Okay, some of you are going to get it and some of you aren't because you're not saying it. Come on. What do you need today? Just say it. You got it because God is. Do you see it? You've got it because God is. He is whatever his people need. God is. God is. It's not that he will be or he sins. God is. God says of his name, I am whatever my people need. That's what the name Yahweh means. I am that I am. I am whatever my people need. Not that he just meets that need, but he is that need. He is provision. He is strength. He is life. He is truth. This is our God. And he deserves all of our worship. I do not want to be distracted by the devil from worshiping the Lord. I do not want to put more faith in lies than truth. I do not want to put more faith in darkness than in light. I do not want to put more faith in oppression than deliverance. I do not want to put more faith in destruction than restoration. I want my faith and my worship to be in God. And I don't want any other gods to compete with that. But in God alone. And then as you walk in the promises, as you are obeying, you're seeking, you're worshiping, you're looking to God in deficit, you're believing his word, you're waiting on the Lord, you are setting an example for others. This is what happens when we walk in the promises. Everybody's watching you. How's she going to handle this one? What's she going to do in this one? They're watching. They're watching. There have been times that I've been so depressed. Two years ago, because of some attacks that came that were very, very harsh, extremely terrible. 
I pulled the car in the garage and the devil came, sat on the seat next to me and said, Cheryl, close the garage and let the car run and it can all be over right now and you can have rest. Don't you want rest, Cheryl? Don't you want peace? Don't you want these people to quit saying these things about you and your husband? And all of a sudden, I heard the Lord say, yeah, and they'll blame Brian. (laughs) And I'm like, the devil! Get thee behind me, Satan. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. What kind of example do you want to set for Kristen and Kelsey and Char and Brayden? I want them to know that God is bigger bigger than the lie, bigger than anything that comes against them, that God keeps his promises. And if I have to be the one that goes into the war, if I'm the one that is attacked and has to hold up the shield of faith, I want him to see, see, look at this shield, it works. See this breastplate, it works. See this helmet, it works. See these sandals, they work. See this sword, it works. I want to set an example to my grandchildren. You can trust in Jesus. I didn't know my grandma, but you know what she left me? Jesus never fails. I didn't know my great grandma, but you know what she left me? Jesus never fails. I want to leave an example for my children. And they can say, mom went through something harder than this. And Jesus saw her through it. And remember, he made her righteousness to shine as the noonday sun. Remember, I want an Ebenezer stone that says, thus hath the Lord helped us, which means he will continue to help us. I want that for my children. I want to set an example. And you know what? People are watching our lives. They're watching to see, will God really come through? And they're not going to covenant with us until they see us on the other side. Isn't that true? They're waiting Like Daniel and Darius. Daniel, is the God that you serve continually able to deliver you from the mouth of the lions? Oh, do not worry, King Darius, that God I serve sent his angel to close the mouth of the lions. God is able. God is absolutely able. And we can set an example to others. You never know who's watching. Isaac had no idea that Abimelech was watching. Abimelech had hated him. He had no idea that Abimelech was watching his life. God has given each of us exceedingly great and precious promises. And it's time we start walking in those promises. Step by step. Believe. Wait. Go to him in deficit. Obey. Seek. Worship. Set an example. It's not about you. You That's what the Lord keeps saying. This is not about you. This is spiritual. It's about me. It's about me. And it's about the generation to come. It's not about us. But God can use us to set such a stellar example. Keep going forward. Don't stop moving forward. I was running in England 
And those of you who know me know how much I hate to run, but I did it because some gorgeous girl volunteered to run with Brian. So I took up running. And uh, I wear shin guards. I look absolutely ridiculous. I'm not a pretty runner. I'm not even a, like a pleasant smelling runner. I'm not even sure I'm a runner, but my legs are moving. So that's got to qualify for something. And as I'm running, this dog attacked me. And it's like, it's like trying to get a grip on my leg. It was going after my calf. And uh, I, I'm running and I just kept running. And it was like the spirit of the Lord was saying, just keep running, just keep running, just keep running, just keep running. And the dog could never get a grip. And it was like, <coughs> you know, and I'm like, when is this dog going to stop? And I probably ran um, probably a quarter of a mile with that dog trying to bite me the entire quarter. And you know, the, the precious English people that didn't have their dog on a leash, you know, poopsie, poopsie. Oh no, no, don't do that to the nice lady. You know, thanks. Get the dog. Get poopsie here, you know. But the idea was not to stop. Don't stop. Keep going. Because you know what would have happened if I had stopped? That dog could have gotten a good grip. But as long as I was running, the dog could not get me. The other day I was running again. And uh, this huge fly came after me. It was huge. It was like a biting fly. And he's like, and I'm, you know, I'm like running and I'm taking off my hat. I'm swatting at it, but I'm running, you know, yeah, that's how it looks. It's ugly. And I'm, I'm just doing it. And it's like, I'm swatting it. And the flies, like, and I'm like, Lord, you know, Beelzebub is after me, the Lord of the flies. And I'm, I'm running and I felt the spirit of the Lord again, just outrun it, outrun the fly into the promises of God. And I outran that fly. It got tired of me. It got bored with me. It found somebody else who was sweating harder. And it went after them. This is what I want to say to you. Keep running into the promises of God. Don't stop. Step one, step two, step three, step four. Step, run. Keep going in the promises of God. Don't let anything deter you. Don't let anything stop you. Run in the promises of God. God said to the church of Philadelphia, I have set before you an open door and no one can close it. He's saying, run into the promises. He said, I am the one who has the keys of David. What is that? That's the lineage of Christ. This is it. He is set before you, my dear sisters, the open door. He has opened the door of the keys of David, the lineage of Christ, and said, you can step into these promises. You can step into all these promises. Take that step and start getting deeper and deeper and deeper so that the nipping dogs and the biting flies can't get you. Go into the promises of God. Let's pray. Go ahead and stand up. Lord, we thank you that we are safe in your promises. Lord, we thank you for Isaac, who just simply walked in your promises. Lord, he didn't go to war. Lord, he didn't call down fire from heaven. Lord, he, 
he just walked in your promises. Lord, may we be women who walk in your promises, who remain in your promises, who, Lord, go deeper into your promises every time there's a quarrel, every time there's hostility, every time there's rejection, that we just go deeper and deeper into the promised land, into the promises, that as we face these things, our ears would be more open to hear the promises and to know what you're saying to us. Lord, work this in us, we pray, by your precious Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. We rest in you. We trust in you. We wait upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.